0: Welcome to the Calvary Chapel Lake of the Ozarks Message Podcast. Our prayer and desire as you listen to today's message is that it would be an encouragement and challenge in your walk in relationship with Jesus. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us online at ccloto.org or download our app in your app store today. Now, let's jump into today's message together. So glad that you are here. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Luke chapter 24. As I was kind of just reviewing my notes this morning, which is kind of standard, it's what I do before I leave the house, my son looked at me and he's like, isn't this the same story every year? Like, you you really have to study up for this? And it's like, well, there's some nuances here, okay, guy? Like, six o'clock in the morning, he's already busting my chops. Like, all right, I see how it is. So yeah, happy Easter to you. See if you get a basket later. They got him yesterday. That's probably why he was acting up. No. Luke chapter 24, if you would read with me. Obviously, it's the account of the resurrection. But on the first day of the week, that's why we worship on a Sunday. Not just Easter Sunday, but every Sunday. It's actually a great defense for the truthfulness and the historical reliability of the resurrection. That in a Jewish context where they held the Sabbath so holy, Saturday, Saturday, And then all of a sudden, we have thousands of Jewish people that have been been worshiping on Saturday for a couple thousand years. All of a sudden, they all transfer to Sunday. Why? Because on the first day of the week, at early dawn, when they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, they, these are a few women, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus and while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. Another defense for the resurrection. It was women at the tomb first. With the testimony of a woman, no offense, ladies, in this culture did not hold up. And so if you were making the story, you would, you would put men there to have that stronger testimony, or you were just declaring what really happened. And so the women are there, two men stand by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the mid said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise? And they remembered his words. We may never get to walk into that tomb. We may never see that stone rolled away. We may never see two angels appear to us and tell us that. But we all, the disciples of Jesus have, we can remember his words. That his word is still there for us. And so returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven. We're down, we're down one guy. Maybe remember that part of the story. And to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene. Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words, these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. Another defense of the resurrection is the embarrassing details that we have in Scripture to the disciples. Like if they were making this story up, they would absolutely put themselves as the hero. But all through it, we see their failure and the embarrassing details that even at the first reporting of the resurrection, they did not believe it. Why would you include that unless that is truly what happened? But Peter rose and he ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves and he went home marveling at what had happened. So obviously Easter uh, requires a little bit more time and prep and thinking through and and the significance of the events and and how do we try to communicate literally the greatest day in human history. I'm actually on my like ninth sermon that I wrote. You know, I write one up and I think, oh, this is where we're going. This is the direction. The Lord's like, that's cute that you thought you knew where we were going. Let me, you know, and... I was like, if I go to 10, I'm just going to call a local pastor and be like, what are you preaching about? Give me your notes, right? Download that thing off the internet or something. And so just always praying through, reading different passages of the resurrection. And I love here in Luke 24, because of this question from the angels, looking at the women, why do you seek the living among the dead? And that makes sense. Like, don't you understand that Jesus is alive? Why are you looking in places of death for someone who is Alive, and and then my hypothetical brain starts running, and I wonder, I wonder if the angels ever kind of talk to Jesus about some things. Like Hebrews ten is a really cool conversation that you hear from Jesus about the day before he came into the earth. Study that on your own. But I just kind of wonder, did they ever look at Jesus and say, "Why do you seek the dead among the living?" You know, they're looking. The angels are looking at the women at the tomb, why are you seeking the living among the dead? But I wonder if they ever looked at Jesus. Why do you seek the dead among the living, meaning us, humanity? Why did Jesus come down to seek after us the spiritually dead? Even though we're physically alive, we got a pulse. But why do you seek after the spiritually dead among those that are physically alive? And and every one of us, that has been our testimony And to be honest, some of us, that probably still is our testimony that we all have been or maybe are spiritually dead, separated from God. That's what death means. It's a separation. And so all of us at one point, or maybe we are, are spiritually dead, but we're physically alive. And I think that's one of the greatest lies and counterfeits that Satan has for us is that we focus so much on our physical lives and the things, maybe not even sinful things, but just, you know, go skydiving or, you know, go snorkeling or do the polar plunge in Antarctica. You know, it's like all these things make me feel so alive when really we don't know how truly dead we are. Because as long as we can be distracted on the things of this world, we won't understand the spiritual death that we're actually in. And so I wonder if the angels ever scratched their heads and were looking at Jesus and just wondering, why are you seeking after the dead? Even though they're physically alive, why are you going after them? And so this morning, there's, there's two lines that I want you to walk away. So if you go home and you be with some family, you have some uh, ham, hopefully some cheesy potatoes, maybe you look for some eggs, eat about a pound of deviled eggs is at least my plan. And you start talking and say, oh, what did, the, uh, what did the old pastor say this morning? I hope these two lines stick out to you, and we're just going to break down the first one right now. Jesus went to the cross because he saw us in it. So why is he seeking after the spiritually dead? Because he went to the cross because he saw us in it. Without Jesus, we are slaves to sin, absolutely captives, in bondage to our sin. Number two, we are lost enemies of God. And number three, we are dead. I'm talking like, Body upside down, face down, floating down the river, bloated corpse. We are dead in our trespasses. So turn to Ephesians. I know, wasn't that just a great, like, word picture right there? Be like, ah, Easter, bloated corpse. Love it, right? So go to Ephesians chapter 2 for me. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1, it says, And you were dead in your trespasses, in the sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work and the sons of disobedience. It says you're pretty much following after Satan and everything that hell is existing for. You're running after all of that. Among, verse three, among whom we all once lived, all, you know what that means in the original Greek, right? All, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature, understand who you were in your birth, by nature, children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. See, that's what Jesus went to the cross, is because he saw us in it. We think of the cross, you know, this side of, of Jesus and the resurrection, we see the cross as hope, we see it as payment, For sin, but that's not the cross that Jesus was looking at. That wasn't the cross that the apostles and the disciples of Jesus were seeing. A Roman cross was a gruesome journey of humiliation, suffering, pain, excruciating pain, death. Literally, the word excruciating means out from the cross. We had to invent a word to try to describe the pain that you would endure on the cross. And we use the very term cross in the word that we use to describe the pain the cross caused. So next time you say you're in excruciating pain, you know, if you hear your spouse say that, you know, like a man cold, it's a real thing. And so when we say like we're in excruciating pain, like, oh, like the same pain that Jesus felt on the cross and a man cold is real. That's where you say, yes, you have no idea. You have no idea. And so the Roman cross this gruesome journey of this humiliation, suffering, excruciating pain and death. This is us. Jesus saw us in that, the spiritually dead. He saw us in our humiliation, us in our suffering, us in our pain, us in our death. That's why he went to the crosses because when he looked at it, he saw us in it. And so Romans 4 Verse 25, just the first part says, Jesus, our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses. He was delivered up to the cross for our sin. And if you remember what John the Baptist said about Jesus when he saw him at the beginning of the Gospel of John, that that's the Lamb of God, which was the animal of sacrifice for Passover. That's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Understand the cross is Jesus being delivered up for your sin. All of your past sin, all of your present sin, all of your future sin, the things that you haven't even committed against a holy, righteous God, Jesus paid for on the cross. He is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He took away my sin. He took away your sin. He took away my shame, your shame. He took away my guilt, your guilt. It was all on the cross. That's what he was delivered up to. And then the rest of that, Romans 4.25. So Jesus our Lord was delivered up for our trespasses and he was raised for our justification. Big fancy we're talking about our salvation. And so the, the power of the cross and the power of that resurrection of the empty grave, they're always and permanently closely connected that you cannot separate them. There's times where at church we might kind of, we, we will platform and we'll talk about the power of the cross, but then we diminish the empty grave, or vice versa, like we breeze over the cross because we go straight to the empty grave, we lift that up. Both have to be celebrated and understood that they are always permanently closely connected. And so in his death and resurrection, death and resurrection, the power of the cross, the power of the empty grave, in his death and resurrection, through his love for us, Jesus gave us, us sin, our, our slaves to sin, Right? Children of wrath, he gave to us freedom. Galatians 5 1 says, For freedom, Christ has set us free. He saw us in bondage to our sin, and he came to set captives free. He saw you a slave to your sin and says, I want to give them freedom. That's the reason he went to the cross, that's the reason for the empty tomb is that we would have freedom. Now, is that freedom that we can just run back into our sin and everything that we love and the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life? Absolutely not. He gave us freedom because, again, we were separated, spiritually dead. That's what it means to be separated from God, spiritually dead. He gave us freedom that we could come near to him, that we could worship him. We have freedom to serve and to worship Jesus. And so in his death, in his resurrection, through his love for us, Jesus gave us, we were lost enemies of God, and he gave us salvation. And so now because of our faith and our trust, our confidence in Jesus for salvation, we get to call ourselves friends of God, not children of wrath, but a child of promise. And that's not because of what we want to call ourselves. Like, oh, Jesus, look at my faith. I want to be called a child of God. I want to be called a friend of God. No, no, no. That's, that's God's doing. That when he sees us turn to him in faith and put our trust in him, he calls us his friend. And then lastly, in the death and the resurrection, through his love, Jesus gave us those who were dead in our sins and our trespasses, floating down the river, dead. Dead. He made us alive. That there's nothing that you can do to make yourself spiritually alive. That salvation is of God. You cannot earn your way to be spiritually alive. You can't attend church enough to make yourself spiritually alive. You can't tithe enough to make yourself spiritually alive, even though we'll allow you to try. You can't read the Bible enough to make yourself spiritually alive it is all on god and his great mercy go back to ephesians chapter 2 verse 4 but god i love the big butts of the bible and i cannot lie Every time. It's a real study. Seriously, go Google it. How many times does it say, but God in the Bible and read what is said before and read what is said afterwards. We are dead and our sins and our trespasses We're following after Satan and hell. And we want nothing but this fire and brokenness in our life, but God. Not, be, not but Nick, not but you, no, no, but God, being rich in mercy, not like a little bit of mercy, like he is rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Some of us don't understand the great love that God has for us. And we look at ourselves in the mirror and think, oh, who could love me? I know God definitely doesn't love me because we look at everything that's going on in our lives, but you're not understanding the truth of his word. It is a great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses. He didn't look at us and think, oh, look at him. He's trying pretty good. You know, he's getting a little A for effort. I'll, I'll love him. Nah, floating down the river, bloated. You, you are a maggot fly hotel spiritually, Right? Don't even think about the smell. We were dead in our trespasses, but we were made us alive together with Christ. And by grace, you have been saved. And so the cross and the resurrection permanently closely connected to give us freedom, to give us salvation that we could be called friends of God and that we would be made alive together with Christ. That's why Jesus went to the cross, because he saw us in it, that there was nothing in any of us that we could do to cause this kind of change and transformation in our lives. We had no hope, and there was no plan, and there was no way of escape, that it is Christ and in Christ alone that we are saved. And so he went to the cross because he saw us in it, and we love that part, right? It's why we come to church on Easter. It's why we're going to get the family together and have some ham and taters. It's why we're going to maybe hide some eggs for the kids, and we're going to fellowship together, and we love that, and we applaud that, and we love that Jesus did that. Except the part two. This is where it gets real. Jesus went to the cross because he saw us in it, and we die to ourselves because we see Jesus in it. That when we come together and we celebrate the life, death, and the resurrection of Jesus, we have to look at our own. And so 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, The word of the cross, the gospel, the word of the cross, it's folly. It's foolishness to the world. It's foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us, who are being saved, who put our faith and our trust, our confidence in Jesus for salvation, it's the power of God. It's the power of God to be saved, and it's the power of God to be sanctified. That it, that's that process of growing and becoming like Jesus. And some of us need to be okay with the process. Some of us need to be okay that God is at work in other people's lives. A lot of times we, we always want to look at other people and think, yeah, you really need to step up your game. You need to start looking and live like how I do. It's like, you can't be the Holy Spirit. Let God work in their life the Holy Spirit, the the word of God, all of these are to be a mirror to our lives and the change that he wants to do in us. We don't use the word to look at other people and think, oh, you really need to to get right. Trust the process. And so we we die to ourselves because we see Jesus and it's the power of God to serve him. We understand what Jesus said in Matthew 16, verse 24. We deny ourselves. It's not about me anymore, my life We deny ourselves, we pick up, we carry our cross, and we follow Jesus. Even Peter, in his epistle, says that Jesus leaves us an example to follow. And so if Jesus is going to take his cross to that place called Golgotha, the place of the skull, that's what Calvary means in the Latin. It's the Greek word Golgotha. So welcome to the place of the skull chapel. I think we should change the name of the church. Let's be a little more biblical about it. What church you go to? Place of the Skull. Wow, sounds nice. Where do you think Jesus was taking his cross? Starbucks? Going to go get a little snacky-do? No, he's going to the Place of the Skull. He's going to a place of sacrifice. And we're called to deny ourselves and take our cross to the same spot. It is a place of sacrifice. I think Paul sums it up so well in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. He's not just, I'm dying to myself, I'm denying myself. No, no, no. I've been crucified with Christ. And if anybody would know what a Roman cross meant, what it meant to be crucified, definitely would have been Paul. Definitely would have been Paul. And seeing and understanding, like the the Roman cross wasn't just a thing that happened once and to a guy named Jesus. Rome crucified thousands. Thousands, they perfected death. And it wasn't like a quick, easy death. No, no, no. They wanted you, they wanted your body just to slowly fade from your body. They wanted to cause the most excruciating pain possible. They perfected death. And so we have that same heart that Paul is saying, if we've put our faith, our trust in Jesus, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I live. It's, it's not about my life. It's not about my ego and what do I want. Nope, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So when we pray and we talk about, hey, we want to be the hands and the feet of Jesus, that's not just a cute little thing that we say. We literally mean it, that Christ is living in and through us to be his body, to be his bride in the world around us. And so the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, meaning that I'm dead to myself. I've been crucified. It's not about what I want. I'm trusting Jesus with every aspect of my life. I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and he gave himself for me. The greatest act of love, the cross of Jesus. And so in John 11, if you remember when Jesus, right before he, uh, brought his friend back from the dead, Lazarus, he's talking to his two sisters, Mary and Martha. And what's he tell them? I am the resurrection and the life. How do we walk to a place where we're crucified with Christ? Because he is the resurrection and the life. And when we put our faith, our trust in him, and we have that indwelling promise of the Holy Spirit, the third person of God, Romans 8, 6, tells us that the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. Some of you might be thinking, yeah, Pastor, I just really don't like my life, and I don't have much peace. Is your mind set on the spirit? Could that possibly be what is going on is that you're still running after your own desires, that you're, you won't take yourself to the place of death, that you won't deny yourself, you haven't been crucified with Christ, that you're running after everything in this world, you're trying to find satisfaction, fulfillment, comfort in the things that Jesus died for. It's almost like he's looking at us. Since I went to the cross for that, why do you keep running back to it? Kind of like a dog running back to its vomits. Oh, maybe it'll be good this time. Maybe this time. Maybe this time. And what do we find? Nasty dog vomits. Yeah, that's a Proverbs. That's the word of God right there for you. Right, the Bible's awesome. It's not boring. But that's what we do when we run back to our sin we're like a dog just running back to our vomit thinking that we're going to find something better we cannot look horizontally for the things that god has called us to look to him for this is it is he where we find our purpose and our fulfillment it's where we have a, we find life and peace is only in him so why are we searching for life and the things that only bring death We're like those women at the tomb. We keep running to tombs trying to find life. No, Jesus is the resurrection and life. We need to run to him. There's so many things in our physical lives that bring spiritual death. We need to understand that because a lot of times we try to diminish our sin and oh, it's not that big of a deal. It's not that big of a deal. It's just a little bit of alcohol. It's not that big of a deal. It's just a little bit of pornography. It's not that big of a deal. It's just some drugs, you know, just to get me through the weekend. Oh, it's not that big of a deal. It's just this. It's just that. Yeah, it's these physical things that are bringing spiritual death in your life. So we are called. Put that to death. We are called to die to ourselves, to be crucified with him. The old man is gone. The new has come. And so when we die to ourselves, we, and because he died for us, and we live for him because he gave us life. Jesus is our life. So die to your desires, to your lust, to your passions of the flesh. Put them to death. Like some of us need to get our weight up. Some of us need to get our fight up a little bit. We need to, we need to put a fight up against sin instead of just getting waylaid by it. That the moment of temptation, it's the weakest at the very act of it. But when we start thinking about sin, we're like, oh yeah, nobody would find out. I'd be able to hide it this way. And we kind of we start thinking, you know, like we, we might even be at work. I just can't wait till we get home and we can indulge. The more and more we think about it, the stronger and stronger that temptation becomes. That temptation is at its weakest at the very onset of it. So we need to get our fight up. We need to know when when temptation and those fiery darts come at us, like what do we protect ourselves with? What's that armor of God? The shield of faith, the breastplate of righteousness. Be doing the right things that God has called us. Hold the shield of faith. All of us are just running around with the helmet of salvation, streaking, and we don't wanna put the rest of the armor on. We need to get our weight up. We need to be fighting. We need to die to ourselves. It's gonna be hard absolutely going to be hard. Christian life isn't easy. If anybody tells you that, they're lying to you and they do not love you. Amen. Anytime you want to say that. The Christian life is absolutely hard. There's going to be things that Jesus wants to take and remove out of your life. Why? Because it's killing you. Like cancer. Been there. The greatest thing the oncologist told me is like, you have cancer and I can remove it. Well, can you remove it without it, like, hurting or changing my life? Nah. I'm going to slice you wide open, buddy. And so Jesus looks at our life and says, you have this cancer called sin, and it's killing you, but the hope, I can remove it. Is it going to hurt? Yeah, it's going to hurt. It's killing you. You thought this was going to be easy? Thought it was going to be flowers and rainbows? No. But is it good? Absolutely. Does it bring life? Absolutely. It's transformation. It's not just making our health meter go up. We were dead and now we're made alive together with him. And so if the cross is empty, if the grave is empty, we need to empty ourselves. We need to hand over some of those things that are killing us and then The Lord Jesus, so faithful, so loving, rich in mercy. He's going to give us some things. They're going to bring us life. I don't want to do those things. Then you really don't want life. But he's going to bring things, and he's going to bring people into our lives. He's going to bring the word. He's going to bring prayer. He's going to bring accountability. He's going to bring fellowship. These are the things that are going to bring life in you so that when people look at you, they will see me as what Jesus wants in and through us that our lives would just be a faithful testimony to the fruit of the Spirit in us and through us. That's where we'll be the hands and the feet and the heart of Jesus. What if people think I'm awkward? They already do. But give them a good reason for it. This time Instead of you just being awkward, right? I'm sold out to Jesus. Okay, that makes sense for your awkwardness. All right. But he wants to do a work in you. In every one of us. There's not one person here, pastor included, where God's saying, you know what? You're doing perfect, buddy. You just keep rocking on. Couldn't, couldn't ask for you, for anything else from you. You're just doing great. No, every one of us, there's a work that Jesus wants to do in our lives, and our heart, and our mind. It might be a physical sin. It might be something that we're finding more identity in than what we're supposed to. It might be something that we're holding at a distance that God wants to bring into our life. And at the end of it, what it's coming down to is we want to be God of ourselves. We don't want Jesus to sit on the throne of our hearts because we love that seat. We want to stay in control. But Jesus went to the cross because he saw us in it, and we die to ourselves because we see Jesus in it. Jesus went to the cross to bring an end of sin, shame, and guilt, and we die to ourselves because we see a beginning of true life, not physical life, spiritual life. And so the celebration of the death and the resurrection of Jesus, it's an invitation of our own. Meaning that if we only walk in and we only celebrate Jesus on the cross, we only celebrate Jesus coming out of the grave and we just applaud that, yeah, you're celebrating Easter. You're not celebrating Jesus. It's always a call and an invitation for us to pick up our cross, to die, deny ourselves, to die to ourselves, to be crucified with Him because of the same tomb He's calling us out of. Some of us might be for the first time that we've never given our lives to the Lord. We've never put our faith and our trust, our confidence in Jesus for salvation. And Easter Sunday is a beautiful Sunday to give your life to Jesus. Some of you might, ah, I've done that back in the day, but if you looked around at your life, you would say, but it hasn't made much change. I just keep holding God at a distance in my life. The fancy term we would use is it's a beautiful day for a rededication to truly take up the life that Jesus has called you to live and to put your true faith in him. And thus, us... As believers that have been following Jesus, it's an encouragement to keep killing sin, to keep nurturing faith, hope, peace, righteousness in our lives, knowing that that cross, that empty grave is the hope of our lives. And not just for this life, but this is eternal life, John 17, 3, that we would know him that we are in our eternal life, and so we are going to continue walking and trusting in Jesus for our salvation, for our sanctification, knowing one day glorification, that we will be with him. And so Jesus went to the cross because he saw us in it, and our shame, our guilt, our humiliation, our suffering, and our death. But we die to ourselves because we see Jesus in it. We see true life, we see true purpose, we see true fulfillment in living our everyday normal lives for the fullness of Jesus Christ. And so we've got plenty of time. We're getting out early on Easter, amen. But if God is stirring in your heart, don't leave campus without doing business with him. I'll be available after service, the pastors, we have prayer team. Don't leave without doing business with the Lord. If God is tugging at your heart, you want to talk, you want to pray. This is what the church was meant for. Would Jesus say, "I want to see a house of prayer"? And so we're going to take some time. If you're new, definitely swing by the hub, grab you a gift. But some, take some time for prayer. If you're in this room, we're going to be in that back corner, or you find me afterwards. If you're upstairs in the loft, I know there's a prayer team up there, and even if you're online. In every way that people engage with Calvary, we want to make ministry possible for you. And so if God's stirring, don't stop it. Even when we had Baptism Sunday, we had two young ladies, they left campus, they went home, and they said, yeah, we weren't supposed to leave yet. They came back. We were trying to close the lights, close the door, turn the lights off. We're trying to go home. And they said, is it too late for us to get baptized? It's never too late. Why? Because today is the day of salvation. Today is the day for us to fully put our trust and our hope in Jesus. Why? The reason we're celebrating the cross and the empty grave. So pray with me. Father, we love you. We trust you. And we just thank you, Jesus. We thank you that we have a reason to celebrate. Even in times where we struggle with our unbelief that we, that we miss what you are doing in and through our lives, that we miss the fullness of what this day means. Lord, help us in our unbelief. Strengthen our faith in you, that we would continue to be your hands, your feet, your heart to this lost, broken world that's still living in humiliation, their suffering, their pain, their death. I pray that we, as your body, would bring hope, that we would bring this same rich mercy and love that you had for us. I pray that that's what we would reflect to the world around us. Not judgment, not condemnation, but salvation, Lord. A salvation that is found in you and you alone. Let that be the hope, the voice of hope that we have for the world around us. And Lord, I just ask that you put your hand upon each and every one of us in this room, in the loft, online, that is listening. Pour out your spirit on us again. Fill us afresh with that gift that we would live faithful to you and our normal, everyday lives, knowing that because that cross is empty, because that tomb is empty, we need to empty ourselves and pour out ourselves in service, and worship, and in thankfulness to you for this Easter Sunday. We pray this in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Again, have a prayer team over here. love to pray with you. Other than that, go love God, love others, impact the world. We'll see you next week at our normal times, not the Easter times, normal times.